Hello, welcome to CarCast, our first CarCast and Edmunds.com collab podcast. I'm here with Alistair Weaver. I don't know what the real name for this thing is going to be, but uh, I'm open to ideas. Yeah, it's a nice <laughs> it's a nice partnership. We've been doing this for, what, five years now? So we thought we'd yeah. take it weekly and um, expand the conversation a little bit. So this show, uh, as you guys are are probably subscribing it to it, but if you're new to the show and you're catching it off the website, you could subscribe to CarCast on iTunes or or other podcast distributors, I believe. Uh, you'll get all the shows, the other ones that we do as well. Feel free to listen to the ones you want, skip over the ones you don't want, and uh, let us know what you like. And th- because this is our first show, you know, like we said, we're open to ideas. We're going to, uh, as Alistair would say, we're going to find our voice. <laughs> and uh, we're going to figure out uh, what it is that we like to do here. Um, but I I think we are going to get into things that, some things that we don't normally get into, like on my shows with Adam Carolla and Goldberg. Uh, uh, we can get more into the nitty gritty of numbers of things, sort of the testing and results of cars, a little bit more on recommendations of cars that uh, as you're shopping around, both new and used, uh, in the different segments, different price points, um, and uh, you know the stuff that intrigues us as well, and adventures and stuff that we've gone on. Uh, clearly, the past few days uh, for us have been all about Monterey Car Week. Uh, and one of the things that I was talking to Goldberg about earlier was uh, Car Week now becoming more of a place to debut cars. It's kind of like what Goodwood was doing and Rensport always had, you know, has something with Porsche uh, and, you know, everything is higher end. It's kind of like, you know, the global debut of, of new cars and concept cars for, for supercars and the, in the ridiculously expensive SUV. Uh, but walking around the quail, the manufacturer booths that are there and, you know, it's Penn and Farina and Gordon Murray and Roof and Hennessy and Bugatti and Konazeg and, you know, everybody there now has either the new thing they're debuting car or the concept car that's going to sort of shape their future. There wasn't anybody that just showed up and like, here's our current lineup of cars as usual. <laughs> Yeah, I mean the whole event. Firstly, yeah, thanks, Matt, for for having me on the show. I'm conscious I'm not either a wrestling star <laughs> or a comedian, although you know I like to think on occasion I can be funny. Not yet. You can um, hit the gym. All right, I was going to go with more wrestler than comedian, oh, yeah. but that's fine. Yeah, that's fine. I've probably got more <laughs> chance of looking like Goldberg eventually than I have of being funny. But but what we do do, just by way of introduction, if you if you're new, is you know I I run a team of forty odd people uh, at Edmonds who test cars day in day out over 300 a year we drive half a million miles we have a private test track and for those who've been listening to the show where i pop up with with bill goberg on a wednesday we thought there was a great opportunity to expand that out and you know get into the nitty-gritty of real cars and everything else but starting of real cars we all went to um to pebble beach and matt's right i mean in days gone by this was seen as a kind of super high-end event for the glitterati uh these days it's actually expanded maybe it's the death of the auto show in its traditional sense or the demise not quite dead but it's sort of on its deathbed shall we say 
Um, and now these kind of, you know, huge events like Monterey have become um, so much more important. And, you know, it was a great, great weekend. Drank a bit much, but uh, it was a great weekend and um, saw some amazing cars. I, I, I drank champagne for four days and I don't think I had anything else other than champagne, except somebody gave me a Prosecco as well at a, at a, at a more Italian influenced event. And that's pretty much the same thing. So, uh, other, uh, by the time I got home, I was like, I don't think I feel a little dehydrated. <laughs> yeah. Definitely feeling a little dehydrated. I don't know that I should come home and, and, uh, and go for a run. That wasn't the smartest idea, but, um, I don't know exactly when you got into town, but we drove up uh, on Thursday and, you know, went immediately to the Ford event and then an Acura event on Thursday night before we hit the quail on Friday. So um, I think that's a pretty good place to start. Ford event, uh, Ford, Jim Farley, Ford Motorsport, the team involved announced the Mustang GTD, a supercar-ish race car ish for the street uh mustang now uh i want you to tell us a little bit about the car but i did get a chance to sit down with with jim farley and i said gtd how did this come to be and he gave me some really amazing ceo response that was about seven minutes long about the passion of racing and ford and him and everything else but it all came down to uh they're building a lamar racing car and when he saw it, he said, can we build one for the street? <laughs> and and uh, that's how I summed it up. And he's like, yes, that's exactly what happened. <laughs> and he goes, everything else I just said was the fancy part. But basically, that's it. Sitting down with Ford Motorsport and Multimatic, the group out of Canada that builds it, they came up with, with this. Now, I'll also say he actually talked a lot about Porsche and Porsche 911 and and how 911 does their GT cars GT3 RS uh, GT2 and how they're sort of the step up more track oriented uh a higher performance version of those cars because one of the things that came up was Mustang GTD doesn't have like a super unique engine it's not like oh it's a five and a half liter twin turbo eco boost that doesn't exist and it's not in anything else but that's not the plan the plan was a little bit like porsche going they've got 911 ford's got mustang they got 911s or gts or turbo they got you know gt mustang's got mustang gt and and dark horse but then the gt cars for porsche this is essentially that uh, that's kind of how I understood it. What are your thoughts? Yeah, it's it's super exciting. And I think you're right. I mean, the other big part of it is, is all to do with homologation and Le Mans and do you need to build a road car and everything else. And if we go back like a generation to the Ford GT, I was, uh, I was actually shooting a documentary on the development of the Focus RS when all that sort of stuff started to be announced. So I had kind of like one foot in the, in, in the Ford performance camp at that time. And, the GT was really just built to homologate the fact that they were off to they were off to Le Mans, and so it was just a race car for for the road. And I remember this was I still lived in the UK, flying out to Utah to drive it, and it was great on a track, and frankly a bit crude on the road. And and, and I think it's fabulous to look at and everything else, but it wasn't. I don't know whether this is sacrilege or we get get endless letters <laughs> about this, but it wasn't the greatest supercar of all time 
to drive on the road or to enjoy. It didn't sound that amazing. There was various compromises because really it was just like, how do we take the race card, stick it on the road? And Ford has this relationship with Multimatics, which is actually now run by a former Ford executive. And, you know, they've got to build their race cars, so they've got to build their road cars. And, you know, here we are. And it's it's a, it's also an interesting take at the moment. And one of the things coming out of speaking to everybody in Monterey is everybody knows that we're kind of at the death knell of the internal combustion. And, yeah, things might change a little bit if the politics changes and maybe there's like a stay of execution, all the rest of it. But the direction of travel is set that we are heading to a, to an EV future. And so everybody is basically saying to the engineers and everything else, let's like, like let's have some fun while we can, which is why you see cars like the Porsche GT4 uh, Cayman GT4 RS, because there will never be another gas powered Cayman. Yeah. Demon that's that's 170. Demon, you know, like the Cheddar, all these kind of like run out additions, like the Black Ghost and everything else. So I think this is part of that game. And Ford's come out and said, let's just, you know, let's have some fun. We've got this company in Canada that can build it. So we're not taking up like precious resource uh, from our mainstream operations. We'll get a ton of great publicity. And, you know, it's a it's a really cool thing. I mean, Jim Farley, the CEO, is a massive car enthusiast. Bill Ford, the chairman, is a massive car enthusiast. And, you know, they're, they're producing some really cool stuff. Tell us about the car. What do you know about the car? Um, so it's based on the new seventh generation Mustang but only pretty loosely. Like I think barely see quite, name. <laughs> barely. I think bits of the interior will be uh, will be shared. I think the un underlying platform is. But then when you really start to break it apart, you've got endless carbon fiber. You've got no trunk because you've got all the... Um, they've, they've moved uh, the gearbox and, all the and, uh, and redesigned the suspension at the back end to, so that you get a 50-50 weight distribution. Um, you've got a, a kind of monster rear wing, which actually feeds off the, um, off the, off the pillars at the back, as opposed to sitting on the, uh, sitting on the boot lid. It's going to be $300,000, which is cheaper than the GT, but not by a lot. Um, and they're going to build 2000, I believe, which is actually quite a lot. When you think that if something like Ferrari F40 was what just over a thousand built, I can't. Can you remember about how many GTs they built in the end? I know it's a reasonable number. The recent one was something like two fifty a year for four years, um, and, yeah, so and maybe some special edition ones here and there. So I don't remember if it came in at like a thousand or something like twelve hundred or something. But I, I, that's kind of what I recall, but I'm not exactly sure. Because two, if it's if they build two thousand in the collector market, that's actually quite a lot. Um, yeah, and maybe they'll spread them over the world, but that's still that's still quite a lot. And five point two liter V eight, as you mentioned, it's it's kind of familiar, familiar powertrain, supercharged, over eight hundred horsepower. If you think the GT five hundred that Edmunds currently owns, although we're probably about to sell it, that's what seven sixty. So yeah, they're, they're punch, punching out over eight hundred rear wheel drive, of course. So you know it's it's a Le Mans car. There's no all wheel drive. So, um, yeah, I mean, it looks fabulous. It's going to be super compromised. No rear seats. I don't know what you do with, the, with your luggage if you want to road trip it. Um, <laughs> I don't think you road gonna, trip it. I don't think you road trip it. I just yeah. hope that people buy it and enjoy it, that it doesn't just become a museum piece. Which... I, look, I, it's going to become a museum piece. It's. I'm told that it's going to have a similar like application process to purchase it, like like on the most recent Ford GT. Uh, 
it would be interesting if the application process had questions like, are you going to race it? Or is it, you know, what events do you think you're going to do? Something along the lines of that, that might influence uh, Ford selling it to you. I can't say for sure, but look, we, we, we're in this time right now where limited edition cars uh, create value for, for the brand as well. You know, especially in, in brands that, the value of those cars drop off pretty quickly. Something like Aston Martin comes to mind. Uh, yeah. So they got to do a limited edition, something and go, Oh, we're going to make five of these. And then in, uh, and hopefully it, it takes off and drags up the other cars below it. Um, and also for a company like Aston, it's about getting some cash into the building. So yeah. if you look at something like the one seven, seven, they did that, that was a really tough point in the company's history. And it was all about, Actually, everybody puts deposit down. We get a load of cash. Then with that, that basically pays for the development and helps fund some of the other models as well. So these things can be super lucrative. I guess Ford is not really in that position. But but the other thing I actually knew, he's left the company now. He retired, so I can probably talk more, more freely about it. But he, I knew the guy in the UK who was basically deciding who in the UK got a Ford GT. And he was telling me like the stories of the lengths that people would go to to try yeah. and... um try and twist his arm to get on the list uh, because also it's like this thing was i forget three fifty thousand pounds i think in the uk and but you know if you look at the values they're going at auctions now it it is like people just know if they can get on that list then the likelihood is you're going to make money the only thing that looking at gtd if they're going to do two thousand and it's 300 grand you know you wonder how much scope there is for speculation in this car i'd say le personally i'd say less than the gt but uh we'll see Right. I, I don't think it's going to I don't think it's going to pop quite as much as the GT, but uh, it, it's going to happen because, you know, look at. Look at something like a Dodge Demon. And look at a GT, you're talking about a hundred thousand dollar car and a five hundred thousand dollar car. And where have they gone? Uh, I don't know that both have quite doubled the gt is doubled right the demon maybe is getting close but it's about percentages not really dollars i mean is a demon two hundred thousand yeah. bucks yet it's maybe somewhere a little lower than that so you know maybe it's up 60 percent, and the gt is up 110 percent. uh so there's almost a built-in guarantee that there's going to be value here um yes but then it brings up that that conundrum it's like yeah i really like to drive it <laughs> but it's worth more if you don't and and that's a conversation for a, a, another time but it's like what are we doing now are we driving cars are we collecting cars and i guess a little bit of both but um you know i have i have this one mustang this sack mustang that i bought as a as a collector car and Every day I'm glad I have it and every day I want to sell it because I don't really drive it. I put 21 miles on it and I'm like, I, I wish I could drive it and you can't really drive it. So it gets a little frustrating with what I do it. Plus, it's not like I have the money that I can go buy, you know, four or five, you know, versions of the same car or have a collection of 30 cars and never get bored. <laughs> you know, I, d I did have a conversation with Hennessy and if people aren't 
Ultimate Hennessy is this new, well, not new, is it? It's a tuner brand that does these fabulous supercars as well, and or hypercars. And I was tipped off that somebody had bought two, one to put a cloth over as an investment and one to drive. But given that each of them is three million bucks, that's um, that's quite a chunk of change as an investment. I, look, I, it is, but even even on a small scale, a hundred thousand dollar car. If you if you're able to buy two of them uh, on a limited production, that's still a lot. Listen, Goldberg's done it. He's got he bought his F8 Green Demon and he bought his Black Demon, and the green one he drove, and the black one is in a big bubble, and it's got five miles on it. Right. And but he has the means to do it. I don't know that that will be the case of something like the Mustang GTD, because there's the application process and whatever. Like you could if you're able to get one in four or five years from now, you can get a second one. So maybe the one you buy, you don't drive. And then in four years from now, you buy one with a couple of miles on it and pay a premium for it. And you do drive that. I don't know. But that's a rich man's game. That is not me. (laughs) And there is some there is some really cool stuff on on the GTD. You can get 3D printed like transmission selectors, serial plates, paddle shifters, and I love it. And and you also get um, and it's basically made with titanium taken from retired F22s. So there's um <laughs> you know they're having some fun with it. I, I think it I think it's a cool thing. Um, and Ford historically has been pretty good at making sure that these cars go to people who who are gonna who are going to drive them. So um. Yeah, unless it's John Cena. Yeah, I think I think and it was the first it, one to get in trouble. Gets... The first one yeah, to get in trouble, get for s- trouble selling his GT. <laughs> selling his GT. Um, listen, the, the arrow on this thing is nuts. The carbon fiber, the massive Brembo brakes. The suspension is beefy. The rear cantilever suspension, the transaxle. Uh, it, you know they're at least you're going to feel like you're getting something for your money. Cause it's got a lot of cool bits on it. Um, the, the rear wing, as you mentioned, is kind of attached to the C pillars and kind of comes out and accentuates the fastback style and the leading edge of it is active. So that thing seems to move somehow. Um, a lot of arrow testing on this, all of the scoops, everything on this thing is functional. The side scoops probably going to a cooler on the transaxle. Uh, there's definitely some pretty cool pieces, um on this car that'll make it very functional i imagine that between now and when the car comes out there will be a couple of options one of the things that came up is they said magnesium wheels and they look cool but we've already got fords you know gt500s and and four gts with carbon fiber wheels so maybe between now and when the car comes out there could be some optional carbon fiber wheel i don't know for sure that would probably require some recalibration of the suspension uh, but, um, you know, who knows? Yeah. The interesting thing as well, because of the way the, the GT three regs work, um, in sports car racing across the world is the road car can have all sorts of stuff that the race car can't. So you can't have active aero on the race, on the race car. Yeah. You can on the road car. I think the road the race car will have around 500 horsepower. The road car's got over 800. So yeah, and, it's pretty, and look- it's pretty crazy. You can't, you can't supercharge. I don't think you can run the Lamar car with the supercharger. You got to no. run naturally. So, so basically, so. that's that's yeah. pretty much a dark horse engine. So it's five hundred horsepower, and then you end up. So the road car ends up being a little bit more um, fruity in certain areas than the uh, than the race car does. But 
I, yeah, it's, it, I mean, Ford was so excited. I mean, they've done this a couple of times. If you remember, like, the GT was developed in Top Secret. And years ago, I actually got taken into the bunker within Ford's headquarters where they developed, mm -hmm. up in Dibble, where they developed the GT. And it was a story I did for Wired magazine ages ago. And they literally invited in. And it was like, it was a proper key for, to get into the room. And only like six people had a key, apparently. And you went into this room and this whole thing was just, just designed in top secret because they were paranoid about it leaking out. Yeah. And that was like, the, almost for me, that was like the last big auto, auto show shock when they unveiled that thing at Detroit. And they did an incredible job of, of keeping a lid on that. And in many ways, they did a similar thing with, with the GTD. We knew that Ford was going to be at Monterey. We got like a press invite. It was coming along and normally you have these conversations. Oh, come on, tell us what it is. Is it this? Is it that? And I don't know whether you saw online stuff started leaking about it, which is always a problem these days. And people were saying it's mid-engine. And we had a chat in the office and said, oh, they're going to do a mid-engine Mustang. And I was like, well, if you're going to build a race car, that kind of makes sense. And obviously the direction that Chevy's gone with the Corvette. And then, of course, it came out and it was like, eh, it doesn't look very mid-engine to me. <laughs> so uh... Honestly, when, when I read mid-engine, but, uh, but Mustang, I... I just thought they were implying front mid. I thought they were just pushing the engine back a little bit. And I don't know for sure that they didn't do that. Maybe they did. I don't know if it's sitting in the, in the stock location because with the transaxle, they could probably move it back. Uh, you know, yeah, they say it's got a 50, 50 weight distribution. So it, 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 it may well be, I don't know what that does to crash and things like that, but uh, yeah. So it kind of made me laugh because there was all this, all this sort of, rumor and counter rumor and then you know we ended up with a re we ended up with a real thing but yeah i had a i actually had a look at it on saturday down at laguna seca and jim farley the ceo was there bill ford was there having a look at it when i was there so yeah you know, there was there's just a, a lot of excitement uh around this car we were uh talking quite a bit about it as well among other things like you said i got to sit down with uh with with jim farley and interview him about it but then i had dinner with uh with bill ford and uh you know That's got to spend you know job. yeah got to spend a, you know an hour hour and a half uh, uh at an event at the dinner table with him and uh uh super interesting guy by the way a different cat a different character altogether than farley and uh he even talked about some of the attributes of like you know when I hired Jim and, you know, he's meant to do this and he's doing this and, you know, and then Farley's conversation is, uh, is like, I don't know, other car CEOs, they like to play golf. He goes, I don't like golf. I like to race cars. That's why I'm here. He was like, they go, well, given probably the golf membership at Pebble beach, I don't know who's spending more money you are, or, or the golfers, but it's probably, uh, pretty similar. 750 bucks around now at Pebble beach. I found out last week. Yeah, well, there you go. I don't. So I think it costs the, more. It's still, to, the, it's still the races. Yeah, it's still the races, unless the annual membership is another hundred thousand dollars just for the annual membership. Um, yeah, yeah, so but anyway, it's good, I mean, good characters. I think there's one thing like we're, we're privileged in our roles to to meet some of you know the big players in the industry, and you know to reach that. Line. I know Bill Ford to some extent was was born into it, right? But you know, Farley has worked his way up. I knew him at Ford of Europe, and that's the thing. And you know. To get to the top, you tend to be a pretty pretty special character. So they're always they're always good at good good to get to know. I totally agree. Um, I also went by and 
saw the production version now of Acura ZDX. This is the uh, all-electric SUV that Acura is coming out with. Now, it's no secret that car companies are oftentimes teaming up now to share expenses. And in some cases, it's very obvious. Like I'm driving a, a press car now, the Toyota Supra, and the you know Supra and BMW, very, very similar cars with slightly different bodywork. Uh, but the Acura ZDX... Uh, is a shared platform with Cadillac and their Lyric. Um, but there's not much left. I think all they have is like the floor pans and the suspension mounting points and maybe where the battery attaches to the vehicle. Everything else is is really kind of different. And I think Acura has even made more room on the inside compared to what Cadillac is doing. And I think the, the design style is on point. And you're going to have similar performance and similar range. Uh, but I don't know. For me, sharp looking vehicle. I like the yeah, Acura. I, I thought it was good looking. It was interesting as well that they chose Pebble Beach to launch it. Because on, on the Sunday, you were down there and they had all these Hennessy products, all this crazy multi-million dollar stuff. And then in the middle of the what's all mounted on the putting green uh it's kind of strange but they have and in the middle of all this was this acura zdx and uh also the volkswagen van um but yeah i think it's a it's a good looking thing and you know honda and acura and uh you know likewise toyota most of the japanese brands have been you know really behind the curve on the ev market and they're now playing catch up and the partnership with gm Probably makes sense. I mean, globally, Honda's not actually that big a company. Um, so it kind of makes sense to share a lot of this, you know, inherent technology. Uh, probably makes sense to Cadillac, makes sense to um, make sense to Acura as well. And yeah, I mean, it's not, I don't think it's trying to be outrageous or anything like that. It's it's a sort of nicely executed SUV that will probably appeal to traditional Acura buyers. It'll be interesting to see how many people that they can kind of seduce from other brands. A lot of our data is showing, and we obviously put a lot of work into this, is that in the EV space, people are a lot less loyal to traditional brands. So people are happy to say, and maybe this is something to do with the mentality of people you know, wanting to adopt new technology. Uh, I don't want to get the psychology of it, but basically what it means is there's a big opportunity for brands to steal customers from other people. So maybe that's trying to get a te Tesla customer coming out of a Model Y uh, or it's trying to just, you know, seduce them from BMW or wherever it may be, because, you know, this thing's not going to be cheap. It's going to be you know, 60 grand plus. You know, that's actually a pretty good point, because, yeah, in talking with uh, like Adam Carolla, who was shopping for a new vehicle and he was looking at EV and he was just like, who's out there with EV right now? Like, what's going on? What's Acura doing? What's Audi doing? What's Genesis doing? And and yeah, the conversation was, was what's happening with like electric SUV, for example. It wasn't necessarily, you know, hey, I, I like what BMW is doing. Do they have an EV? He was just like, what's everybody doing? Like, what's what's good? out there and yeah i don't think the brand was a, was a super huge factor until he kind of narrowed it down and then test drove a few and then you know picked what he picked but uh kind of interesting um now the zdx is is new we just saw the production version but is the lyric out yet have you driven that 
Uh, I haven't personally driven it. I know Cadillac had all sorts of, you know, there was all sorts of delays associated with that vehicle, but we're starting to see, yeah, you're starting to see more of them. Personally, I haven't, I haven't been into it yet, but uh, yeah, Caddy's an interesting one. I mean, I think there's a general feeling that, you know, this whole electrification gives them a fresh opportunity. I mean, Caddy's been relaunching itself for years, hasn't it? You know, is it an American luxury brand? Is it American sporty brand? Is it now back as a, as a sort of, um you know an ev brand uh i mean the lyrics are pretty good looking car it's a big car though i think like you only see it in real life it's it's quite a it's quite a chunk but you know again a, a lot of this is normalized you know from you know 60 grand upwards again nothing's nothing's cheap in this market and maybe that's also why the the brand thing is you know is less important because everything's 60 grandish uh for a for a sort of yeah you know reasonable sized suv this is definitely one of these examples where I'd like to see at some point uh, your your impressions and test results of the Cadillac versus the Acura. Uh, Cadillac is a little bit ahead of the game on getting theirs out, but then Acura had a little bit more time to say, what is Cadillac doing that we like or don't like? And how do we put that into production ZDX? I, and and I think we tend to care about oh it's got a GM plug nobody cares honestly nobody knows nobody cares and you know whether it's got GM bits here or you know Acura bits here or Honda bits here it's like the main thing is how does this work how does this serve my you know serve my lifestyle I, and I, I think and I think to your point it's less relevant when you're cross shopping SUV like yeah I, I mean maybe there's a difference when it's something like the Supra where you get into it and you go, oh, this is very BMW. <laughs> the Gestix yeah. BMW and that's BMW and this is BMW. You know, the reality is all of this platform sharing stuff is stuff that you will never see. And EVs are inherently a lot more simple than gas cars anyway. So, you know, you're really talking about a battery pack and one or two motors in in both cases. But, so know, the fact that the, the platform or the motors or the batteries, I mean, really, who cares? I, for something like the the Cadillac, the Lyric, and the, and the Acura ZDX, I, yeah, I I would literally just test them side by side and probably just go with the one that I liked a little bit more. the 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 label in this case wouldn't make a difference to me at all. I like Cadillac and I like Acura, and I would just figure out what the deciding factor was going to be for me, whether it be just like I like the interior better, or it's a little bit more comfortable, or if range was an issue and they were. You know, one was actually a little better, which could be the fact one could be a little better just based on like aerodynamics or something. Um, uh, and uh, it could just and be a slight thing. And I think what every brand is having to ask themselves is, are they using this as a rationale to relaunch the brand? So I had lunch on, on Saturday with some of Jaguar Land Rover's executives who were talking about you know, Jaguar coming back. This is no secret. Jaguar coming back as an electric brand at a much higher price point. And what they're really doing is talking about relaunching the brand. So, you know, forget about your XEs and your F paces and everything else. It's coming back as a very striking, probably polar, probably end up being polarizing luxury vehicle that will be, you know, over a hundred grand. So what they're doing is saying, actually, we're going to use the whole EV thing as a chance just to say, forget everything you've seen for the past 60 years. 
we're going in a totally different direction and we're going to pull from the spirit of the 1960s but ignore everything that happened since, pretty much. They wouldn't put it that way, but it's kind of the art. Whereas something like Acura is saying, well, our customer group is pretty conservative. What they want is an Acura with a, a motor and a battery. So you are kind of getting this split a little bit of people saying, how do we just reconnect? I had dinner with Infinity on Saturday night and... I did a lot of poor shaking at the weekend, but um, I was going to say you had a um, lot of food. <laughs> I had a lot of food. I had a lot of, yeah. Um, I, I'm struggling a bit to, two days later. Um, I, you know, and they're looking, they've had a bit of a tough time from a, you know, sales perspective. And they're looking at this as like, how do we reboot the brand and how do we make it, you know, cool and interesting again and differentiate it. So it's a, it's a fascinating time. And, you know, the next few years is going to be a huge shakeout. And, you know, and and on top of it all, you've got Tesla, where I live in LA, person across the street's got a Tesla, next door neighbor's got a Model Y, neighbor the other side's got a Model 3. And so they're just so ubiquitous that actually, you know, you, you, you're really looking around the market for something different. And I know yeah. that's quite California, yeah, yeah. California specific, but the point's there. Um. Okay, so shifting gears a little bit, uh, we were talking a little bit earlier about Audi, Audi R8. Oh yes, yeah. What's what's are we done with Audi R8? <laughs> so I had when I wasn't like drinking and eating, I was I did have. <laughs> it's very look at me, but I had a couple of laps at the end of the day at Laguna Seca on Saturday, and Audi did this uh, little program to basically as a kind of, you know, a little swan song for the Audi R8. And the designer was there, the original R8, almost kind of a little bit teary-eyed as he talked us through how, it, you know, the gestation of it. That car goes back. The Audi R8 goes back. The concept goes back to 2003. And then the production I, I, car yeah. goes back to 2006. Like, if you want to feel old, like the R8, I remember like this thing being incredible. Uh, and it's 20 years ago. And so so we had a, we had like a little, design talk which was super interesting about how they you know how they evolved it into this german supercar and then off we went onto the circuit with um tom christiansen mr Le Mans, who won nine times yeah um and not quite always in audis but mainly in audis and it was like they said it said it's all right guys you know put a helmet on tom's gonna lead you around he's in a e-tron gt the the ev so you know nobody's going crazy fast and it's really just to like show the car to the public and, you know, as a last hurrah. So I got thrown the keys to there's two of us behind Tom. I got thrown the keys to this rear wheel drive, the rear wheel drive version. Um, and the journalist in front was in a GT all wheel drive. <laughs> I'd never driven Laguna Seca. I've driven most, a lot of circuits around the world, but yeah. for, for various reasons, one that's always just passed me by. And of course, quite a lot of it's blind. And I thought this thing would just be a bit of a procession, but you know, Tom's a racing driver and off he went. And I was literally, I was like, I wouldn't say I was like hanging on for dear life, but it was definitely a sense of, I really want, I really hope that it is a right hand turn coming up and not a left. Cause I'm, uh, cause he wasn't, he wasn't hanging around. It was good fun. And you know, I've driven a lot of, done a lot of miles in R eights over the years and you know, it's such a great car. And I always remember very fondly the, the manual V10. I because drove that I, car. Yeah manual v10 which had a ferrari style like aluminium aluminum sorry shift 
uh, yeah, like a, like a, yeah, like the gated shifter and everything, and yeah. it had a very satisfying click to it. It when did. You it was shift like, ching, yeah, it was. It was every time you change gear. Super impressive. All right, I have a couple of questions. First of all, um, first time around Laguna Seca, how did you like it? Did you jump the corkscrew? Because I've done that. <laughs> I was just in. Yeah, I, it's. I, it's a circuit you obviously need to get to know um, and can clearly bite, and I think you've got to get your reference points. But it's just such a cool. I mean, there's certain circuits in the world, Spa, which I've done a you know done a few races at, and and others where you know just have this iconic status. And I think you know Laguna Seca is 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 definitely one of those. And you think about the Zanardi Pass and everything else. It's uh, yeah. I, I mean, you probably need twenty thirty laps, and I got one point eight laps to to really get to know. <laughs> yeah. Um. And the and the Audi is should. Now that we're at the end of this R8, should someone go out and buy an R8? If you're considering an R8, is there is it too late? Is there too much better stuff out there? Or is this one of those ones you're like, you know what, grab it while you can? This is a personal opinion, uh, but I think the first one, there was two generations of it, and I think the first one is probably the one to have. A man, The V8 was probably better to drive, but the V10 just sounds awesome. I know the the design has sort of got a little edgier. It's been refined over the years. And the first ones look a little roundish, a little bubbly, a little had a, a little too much Audi TT in it. But I, I don't disagree. I think if you had an opportunity to scoop up a V10 with a manual transmission, I would I would jump on that car because you're never gonna get that again. You know, nothing new is gonna be like that again. And I had a look on Bring a Trailer though about what the values were now. Yeah. Just you know, you kind of wonder whether you get it at the bottom of the curve, and they're already a ton of money, 150 grand plus. They're uh, you know because a lot of people just recognize this is this is the collectible one. And I'm with you. I think by the end of its life the second generation car got a lot more angular. The designer was really interesting talking about how they didn't want to create. It was because it was based on the underpinnings of the Gallardo back then. Yeah. And then the second generation more like towards the hurricane, but so it was based on the Lamborghini Gallardo and they didn't want to create just an Italian angular supercar. They needed to do something different. And the idea of going for this sort of slightly sort of more organic, softer curves was also harking back things like the auto union, which were part of Audi's history. So it did have more of a kind of distinctive appearance. And then over time, it's just got more and more angular, the bolted more and more bits on it. It's got more and more kind of aggressive, which, you know, everything's got more aggressive. So yeah, I think the early one was the early one will be the collectible one. And also it's kind of 20 years old now. It's a, you know, it's suddenly become an old car and, but what they were doing as well was saying, look, we know this is the end of the journey, but we need to do something like this again. And it will probably be an EV, but, you know, this has become such a key part of Audi's history. And, you know, alongside the TT, how it took them from, a, you know, like the my mum growing up, I always remember, you know, my mum used to say, Audi, or Audi, she's called it Audi, Audi. It's the poor man's Mercedes. And it took a <laughs> hell of a lot of time to get past that to to where the brand is today. And the yeah. TT and the R8 were, you know, instrumental in that. So I think we're going to see like an R8 or maybe a whatever it is, R10 or something in the future. But uh, it won't quite be the same thing. Yeah, but I'd be okay with that. I'd like to see where they're going to go next with it. 
you know, with yeah. like NSX and GTR and, you know, and see what, what's going to happen with those halo cars for those companies. Yeah. Interesting um, times. Yeah. What else are we missing? Are we going to be wrapping things up for this um, week? Yeah. I mean, if you, if you want to check out, if you go to edmunds.com slash news, you can see all our reporting on, uh, on Pebble Beach. I, one thing we did, did kick off, it just shows you the, extraordinary wealth at this place just as a, maybe an anecdote to finish with first night i went to range rover house where basically range rover rented this beautiful house in its own private co- uh, cove and i believe brad pitt has a say lives probably has a house like two doors away and we did you know it was really for, just for range rover customers and the, the thing was oversubscribed and they they real rolled out this new Range Rover, which was a special Carmel edition. They were only building seven. You could only buy it if you're at Range Rover house that weekend. And it was sort of in a white paint. And they said the white paint has been inspired by the waves breaking on the, on the shore of the Pacific by uh, in, in Carmel. And the front of the car was like cream. The back of the car was burgundy. I'm sure there's a more technical name. And then it also had a electric parcel shelf wrapped in leather which is I've never seen an electric parcel shelf before. And they got around to the prize and they said, only seven of these, seven of these will be made, uh, $370,000, but we will be making a donation to the local uh, preservation of, of marine life. And it was fascinating watching people's faces because there were some people who were like, yeah. oh my God, 370 grand for a Range Rover. And other people were like, eh, whatever. <laughs> and then I went into the house and they'd done a partnership with, Hodinky, which is this cool watch. They're like watch yeah. collectors and editorial. They're really, really, really interesting guys. And I was talking to them and I was like, God, 370 grand eh, for a Range Rover. And then the guy had a bo- box full of watches. He's like, yeah, there's about half a million dollars worth sat here. And I just <laughs> sell one of them. So it's it's all about like recalibrating your brain a little bit. But yeah, 370 grand for a Range Rover. It was beautiful. But that's a, that's a lot of cash. It's a lot of cash. So they had to pay for that Airbnb <laughs> to get that house in that neighborhood um exactly uh yeah so we we got a taste of that as we're kind of walking around and and you know th- these cars that are being debuted and you know you're talking about Ford gt keeping it a secret i i drove past early morning drove past like the maserati house where they're doing a similar thing and you know and they've it's tough to get to it's on 17 mile drive and you're surrounded by trees and it's, you know, tough to get, you know, the big rig, you know, from reliable carrier up there. So they got to switch this car to the flatbed, but they don't want anybody to see it. So there's a car cover on it and it's super low to the ground and they're trying to unload the car and get it into this house, but without anybody seeing it. So it's like surrounded by people and it's just, it all just kind of felt like, you know, like, you were surfing and you jumped out of the water and your buddy's like holding up the towel so you could quickly change clothes and nobody sees you. They're doing that with a concept car. They're doing it with a new car that they don't want to get leaked before their big reveal, you know, eight hours later at night with champagne and, and, and cheese, (laughs) you know, but uh, yeah, the, the pageantry around all of it is, is interesting. Yeah, it's great. The whole event, if you think looking at the cars is is fun, the people watching is is off the scale. It is, but this 
this whole thing is sort of ripe for a a a, a change at some point. The car companies are going to start going. Eh, it's too expensive now. Like we, you know, we're out of the auto shows because it's too expensive, and we got to look at the ROI. And now they're like, oh, debut at Quail is too expensive. Like they have to be able to keep the event. You can't get too money hungry with with some of these things and going, oh, you know what? Now now Quail tickets are $2,200 a piece instead of $1,700 a piece. Uh, it may not seem a lot of money, like a lot of money to the people buying the tickets, but yes, everyone notices. And but every CEO in Carland wants to go, and that makes a big difference to the decision yeah, making. Process. Everybody wants to go, <laughs> it's, it's one of the go. best events ever. All right, guys, we're gonna wrap things up. Uh, I uh, appreciate you guys listening, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna give a shot, we're gonna do it again next week. Uh, and you can always go to edmunds.com and uh, find the podcast there. You can subscribe on iTunes and subscribe to Carcast there as well. And we're gonna set up a page edmunds.com/slash carcast. As you listen to it, don't know whether it's live, but we're going to do it. This All is right. the first one. <laughs> uh, thanks, guys. See you next week. For the latest updates and call-in times, follow the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at CarCast Show. If you'd like to write in, fill out the form on CarCastShow.com. And don't forget to give us a nice rating on iTunes. CarCast is a Corolla digital production and is produced by Chris Loxamana. For more information, visit carcastshow.com.